following is a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach with Pastor Bill Welsh. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com. We had been reading that morning with our pastors. We gathered together on Wednesday mornings. We're reading through a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. And I think it was in chapter six, Jerry Cook, who wrote the book, was a, a friend of ours. He, he brought up the point of how many, how many young people do you know in your church by name? How many can you name? He said, the Lord spoke that to him while he was in prayer one day. And he said, I could only name my own kids. He couldn't name any other kids in the church. I'm thankful I know a few more than just my own kids. But uh, we heard one of these young men that I've watched grow up here at Refuge who came up and shared a powerful message on gratitude, on Thanksgiving. And so I've asked Josh Liu if he would come and share that five-minute message with you this morning. So would you guys welcome Josh as he comes to share with you? There you go, man. Push anything aside that you need. Good morning, Refuge family. I'm honored to share this short Devo with you guys, and thank you, Pastor Bill, for this opportunity. So around Thanksgiving, my family often does this activity where we write down our names and what we're thankful for so my mom can hang it up on the wall. Usually, it goes like this. Josh, thankful for friends, family, and my dog. While we should all be thankful for the things we cherish in life, this year, I am thankful for something very different. I'm thankful for all of the hard stuff I've been through this year. Yep, I said it. You might be thinking, well, Josh, that's really weird. Why, why would you be thankful for that? James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Notice how James doesn't say happiness. He says joy. The difference between happiness and joy is that joy is from the Lord. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials, not just sometimes, whenever. But why? Why should we be considering the hardships in life as joy? Generally, from a world perspective, we see trials as like bad stuff, like the loss of a loved one, failed relationships, etc. But God tells us we should take joy in the fact that we are facing these trials. This is because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, and let that perseverance finish its work so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We must take joy in the trials in life because our faith is being built up through these. The testing of our faith makes perseverance, and through perseverance, we are bettering our relationship with God. The other day, I listened to the awesome testimony from Mr. and Mrs. James. Many of you know she was in a horrible car accident, and it was a miracle that she survived. If you want to listen to the actual audio, it's on the website. Anyway, Mrs. James had an incredible faith and the moment the car and the truck collided, she started praying, which we should all be doing in life. We all aspire to have faith like Miss Debbie James. Look at her now. She's still strong in her faith and persevering. Most people, dare I say all of us, reach out to God in our most time of need. It could be as simple as, oh, shoot, I didn't study for that math test. Lord, please help me remember. Or, God, please help me through this time. I'm really struggling. You get the point. Reaching out to God in the time of need is a great thing. We're called to do that. But it's not okay if that's the only time we're reaching out to God. I have such a bad habit of doing this, or half-hearted praying, as I like to call it. Half-hearted praying is like you don't have your intentions there, you're not really there, but you're just praying out of habit. But we, as Christians, need to be wholehearted and fully there like God is there for us. We should be thankful that we have the opportunity to talk to the creator of the universe. After all, God has been and always will be here for us. He always has the best intentions for us. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We get to look forward to heaven in the future, and God has plans for each and every one of our lives. The plans are not going to harm us, but we don't deserve any of that. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Instead of having the trials in life force us to build up our relationships with God, we should be doing that our own. Because after all he's done, the least we can do is live for him, pray, read our Bibles. So this year I wrote on that piece of paper, I'm thankful for God's forgiveness and love. I'm even thankful for the little things. I'm thankful for my acne. It keeps me humble. <laughs> I'm thankful for the Bible and that I can pray to him whenever. 
I'm thankful that he's giving us opportunities to share him and his word. And lastly, I'm thankful for the trials in my life that he uses for good to build up my faith and my relationship with God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Please help us recognize our blessings in disguise, Lord. And thank you for always being there for us and providing for us. Help us to appreciate everything you've done, Lord. And help us to not only be thankful on Thanksgiving, Lord. And I pray that everyone has a great rest of their day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. That was great. Thank you, brother. And I think you got a great t-shirt idea. I'm, I'm grateful for my acne. It keeps me humble. That's great. <laughs> wow. I, I'll tell you what I'm grateful for. Um, and I was on Wednesday night after I, I heard Josh share. I'm, I'm grateful for a generation that's coming up that, that knows Jesus and has a grip on his word and is ready to speak into that generation. God bless you, man. Well, I'd ask you to stand up with me, open your Bible to Psalm 100, if you would. Psalm 100. And please read out loud with me if you have it open. I'm reading from the New King James, and here's how it reads. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Could everybody say, yes. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Verses four and five, one more time with the volume a little bit louder. Here we go. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Father, thank you for these generations. Thank you for the generations that came before us that passed the truth on to us and that now we, Lord, we get to pass that truth on to the next generations. And so, Father, be with us today as we talk about entering into your gates with thanksgiving and coming into your presence with praise and gratitude to you. Teach us that wonderful discipline. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. At the end of our time together, I'm just giving you a fair warning. At the very end of our time together, uh, I'm going to call on you to share one or two things that you're most grateful for right now with one or two people that are seated beside you. So just get your courage cranked up to do that. Likely you're seated by somebody that you like. Why is that funny? But, or, or maybe if, if not somebody you like, at least somebody that you know, okay? And you can make a step towards uh, maybe a bit of like between the both of you. But let me ask you about uh, this season that we have just moved through. How many of you are just a little bit sad that Thanksgiving is over? Anybody? Anybody? I've got to see some of my brothers and sisters that feel this way. Um, I mean, it just comes by, it comes up and goes past so quickly, doesn't it? It's like, uh, it's, it's just right after, it's not right after, but it feels like it's just right after, you know, Halloween and some of the fall stuff that's going on. And here it is, we anticipate it, it comes and it's gone. And I don't know how it goes in your house, but we come together and it's usually at our house, so we have the meal and, and the gathering that lasts a while. And most of our kids have been at in-laws' house, um, not outlaws, but in-laws' houses uh, before they've come to our house. So we get together for an evening meal and, we, and we, we, we laugh and we pray and we eat and we talk. And sometimes there's a bit of football or, or what, what's that weird sport that's going on right now? The, the World, World Cup or something like that. Um, and then and in our house, there's usually some music that's made at one point or another. I'll show you that at the very end of our service. And then, but then we clean up. And, and a lot of people this year, they stuck around and they helped clean up. And then one by one, they pack up and they go. And then it's another... 365 years until we have that meal together again. And we were just getting started. I mean, I, I, I'm one of those guys who would love for that to linger and linger and linger on into the night, but they've got to get their kids home and get them ready for things the next day. But I want to contend for something today. 
I want to contend for something better than just getting through Thanksgiving. I want to talk on, on this theme this weekend. Thanksgiving, the endless feast. The endless feast. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about eating nonstop. And when you talk about the feast, think about the feasts of Israel. It, it was a core rhythm of their life together for a whole year. Seven basic feasts that were spread out throughout the year. And it wasn't all just about the food. Now, some of them it was. And one of those feasts was like their thanksgivings. Anybody know what feast that was? The feast of Passover. Somebody said it. Passover. At Passover, they ate a, a well-prescribed meal. The menu was, was somewhat the same for everyone that celebrated Passover. And it was a meal of thanksgiving because they sat and remembered how death had passed over them when God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. It was something, thank God, they never got over that. They would always come around that same time of the year again, and they would celebrate the deliverance from bondage in Egypt, and they would move on. So the feast isn't just about gorging ourselves on food. A feast was a dedication or a celebration of meaningful ceremony, or you could put it this way, meaningful festivities. What word is at the beginning of festivities? Feast. It was a time of celebration, and a lot of it was outrageous celebration. Now, I'm speaking to family. I'm speaking of family here. And, and, and of this family, this particular family, I am so thankful to be back in this household called Refuge. We call it this place called Refuge. We call our class this place called Refuge. I think we ought to change it to this people called Refuge because the place is nothing without the people. And I love being back home with our family here after these three round trips to Israel since September 27th. We had, uh, we had not been there for three years since it all locked down. Joy was not with me on that last trip. It'll be three years this coming March was the last time that I was there. And no question, on this trip, it was very apparent that, that COVID had changed their world too. Did COVID change anybody's world in here just a little bit? Did anything get upside down? Or as the Brits say, did anything go pear-shaped? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I like pears. But, but things got messed up. There's no question. We all remember being treated like toddlers. Anybody remember that? Where we were told how to specifically do things we already knew how to do. And, and, and here's just a few examples. We were, we were taught how to wear a mask. We all wear all kinds of different masks. We were told how to keep it up. How many of you went into a, a store and you had the mask below the nose? They said, no, 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 pull it up over the nose. And sometimes they were nice about it and sometimes they were not so nice about it. We were taught how to, I'd never even thought about this, how to <clears throat> cough into your elbow. I never thought about coughing into my elbow. We were taught how to stand six feet apart in every single line. Because COVID can get you if you're five feet apart, but at six feet, it runs out of steam and it can't get to you at the six foot level. I'm sorry, some of which just seemed ridiculous to me. We were taught how to wash our hands, weren't we? What was the main thing they told us to begin with here? Wash your hands for how long? 20 seconds. For how many of you, that doubled the time that you normally wash your hands? 10 seconds. Well, not if you're in Turkey. Or not if you're in Israel, especially in Jericho, I saw these signs in, in uh, restrooms in both the Turkish airport in Istanbul, and then I saw it again with some additions in the restrooms in Jericho in, in Israel. And here were the steps. How many steps do you think there are to washing your hands properly? Somebody take a guess. I see, I hear three, I hear five, that's eight, keep going. I hear 10, add two more, 12 steps to get your hands washed. Here's what you've got to do. Wet your hands. Everybody say, duh. Okay. <laughs> Wet your hands. Number two, take sufficient amount of soap. I guess it's up to you to determine how, how much is sufficient. Number three, foam the soap in your palms. Fo and then number four, foam your right hand, then your left hand with soap. Number five, lock and rub your hands together. Number six, combine and rub your fingers together. Interlock your fingers and rub them together. Number seven, scrub the back of your hands. Why am I scrubbing the back of my hands? I, I remember when I was a kid, probably five or six years old, my, my little annoying sister is laughing up in the front row. <laughs> but I, I was sitting at the dinner table, and Dad looked over, and he saw my hands were filthy. He said, Bill, did you wash your hands? I said, I think I did. He said, go do it again. So I went into the bathroom, and I filled up the sink, filled up the sink with water. 
warm water, not hot water. I don't want to hurt myself. So warm water. And I didn't know that dad had followed me in. And he got in just as I was washing my hands like this, just patting him on the top of the water, <laughs> both of them, and trying. And he said, Bill, you've got to wash those hands. Well, I'm doing it close to what they said in Turkey right here. So anyway, number seven, scrub the back of your hands too. Number eight, combine and rub your thumbs they had illustrations for all these. They didn't leave it up to you to decide what that was all about. They showed you how. Number, number nine, foam your fingertips at your palm. And then number 10, rinse your hands with water. Again, duh. And, and number 11, this was cool. Dry your hands with single-use paper towels. And then number, number uh, that, that was number 11. Number 12, turn off the water using the paper towel that you just used. And I had to add one more. Remember, this is in an airport. So number, step number 13, rebook the flight that you just missed by taking so long to wash your hands in the airport here. My goodness. But it even changed for us how we gathered, didn't it? If we gathered. A lot of churches didn't gather for a long, long time. Some for close to a year and a half didn't gather. But it, but it changed the way that we gathered. I remember this, when we got the edict that we could only have a certain number of people in this room. And here's how you had to do the math. Either 100 people or 25% of your seating capacity. In this room, that would have been just one number short of uh, 1,000. We have a, a, a little sign out there that says we can fit 999 in here. There's no way we could fit 999 in here. But you got about 800 seats. So... Um, Either 100 people or 25% of your capacity, whichever is less, whatever's the lowest. And so we complied with that. How many of you remember having to sign up for a service? You had to go online and decide when you were coming. We got rid of that very, very soon. Remember the pie plates that we put on the chairs? Oh, my goodness. We, we were trying to comply. There came a point. We said, let's just go outside. And we met on the patio. And somebody said, let's put up a tent. So we put up a tent. And we did that for about five months or so. But how many of you remember, how many of you, well, we still have them. It changed the way we do communion. How many of you love those little pull tab communion things? <laughs> Ladies, don't wear a white dress if it's communion day. Guys, don't wear white jeans. It's going to get all over you somehow. It just has a way of escaping. But do you remember June of 2020? I'll refresh your memory. On June of 2020, our, um, our wise governor, um, told us that we were not allowed to sing. So you can meet, but you can't sing. And, or you can't chant. And, and the third one that was one right along with, and you're not allowed to kiss religious articles. I'm not sure what that was. We, we had no statues to kiss any feats here. Maybe it was you can't kiss your crucifix and then have somebody else kiss it. I don't know. But I remember that day saying, that, this far and no further. We're going to sing. And so we sang, and I said, you know, maybe we should, you know, keep our masks up while we sing. And so at that point, we had five services on a weekend. Uh, we added one because of the diminished numbers when we were meeting in, inside here. And I remember sitting or standing right over here and, and singing with all of my heart in praise to God, maybe a little bit in defiance as well. And just I remember towards the end of the, the third or fourth song, I could feel it in my chest. And at each service. And then it was the next day that I was rushed into emergency with arrhythmia that was diagnosed. And there hasn't been any episode of that since. But it, it, there's no question it changed our world. There were discussions over what was essential and what was non-essential in terms of gatherings and, and, and activities. And it was deemed that churches were to be shut down, that they were non-essential. But in the essential category, there were bars and liquor stores and marijuana shops and, and uh, massage parlors and, that were allowed to remain open because they were considered essential. And we were upside down. We were definitely pear-shaped, I guess, in, in our, our, our view of all this. And why am I bringing up these painful memories? Well, here's why. Because with all that COVID did change around us, maybe one of the worst impacts is how it threatened our sense of joy, our sense of peace and even our sense of gratitude, our sense of thanksgiving. Some of us were searching for something to be thankful for when nothing really had changed in the eternal perspective of anything. And, and we really should have known that. And honestly, we all wrestled with grumbling and complaining, even, even yours truly. 
And some of you have witnessed me complaining and grumbling online, offline. I don't know why they didn't tell me why, but Instagram uh, suspended my account or canceled me or whatever about two and a half weeks ago. And they say they're going to let me back on, but they don't tell me how bad I was or, or what I did. And, but anyway, um, all this, this, this grumbling that happened, I was a part of that. We felt justified, didn't we? There was good reason to grumble. Remember, it was deadly. It really was deadly. All of us have lost friends and family members. So it wasn't not a crisis. I'm just saying, I, I think we let it impact us more than it should have impacted us in our response to God. I think some of us, including me, forgot who we were called to be as the children of light, the children of the living God, the children of a loving God. We're purveyors of hope. We're meant to be purveyors of love and light in the dark world that we live in. We are perfectly, do you, do you know this? You are perfectly loved by God who so loved you that he sent his son to suffer on a hideous cross for you and for me to die and be buried and rise from the dead so that we could conquer death and we could live forever with him. We, we have that message. We are perfectly loved by our father. We're called to serve him and love him and to love one another and to serve one. And listen, we're sent into a world with a message of salvation in the mess of this world. In other words, we're trusted with the ultimate answer. We're trusted with the ultimate truth for a broken world. We have every reason to conquer the grumbles, to conquer the complaining. Look up here. I'm working on that <laughs> because I'm as prone as anybody is to leaning that way when things don't go quite my way. But there were bright spots too. And I want to, if I could look you in the eyes one by one and say this to you. I want you to hear this as if I'm doing that to you. It's as if I'm looking right at you. I have been so impressed with you and the way that you serve Jesus through these nearly three years together that turns so much of what we do upside down. I am so impressed as I've watched so many of you serve Jesus Christ with gladness when you had things to complain about. You just dug in and you did something that mattered and you did it with a joyful heart. When you were inconvenienced, when you were disoriented, and when you were scrambling to come up with new ways to be the church and reach out to people that we were told were beyond our reach and don't dare reach out to those people. Don't touch them. And you found ways to continue to do that. And you continue to live with grateful and thankful hearts. And I want to pass on a benediction to you that was spoken to our hiking tour that we completed, oh gosh, whenever that was, in uh, late, er, early, early November? No, 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 no. It was uh, October 20th through the, no, October 10th through the 21st when we came back. On the 20th, we sat down with this uh, young man. His name is uh, Jonathan Rosen. Does anybody see The Chosen? <laughs> Doesn't he look like Jesus from The Chosen just a little bit? And he was, he was a wonderful guy. Now, he and I had times, we're smiling right there, but he and I had times where we kind of butted heads on what we were going to do next. And, uh, and I, I knew that I had to do that. You, you slip into the Middle East and you've got to learn a Middle Eastern way of communicating with people that you love and not leave them with the feeling that you're angry with them. So we had some of that back and forth. But I tell you, I, I love this brother and he knows, he knows it. So we had our farewell lunch on the uh, 20th at a nice little cafe in inner Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, not very far from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And so we all bragged a little bit. We talked about stories and we bragged on our tour guide, Jonathan. And we thanked him for, for leading us over close to 100 miles hiking over the land of Israel. And he was with us every single step of the way. He was a tremendous, tremendous tour guide. He knew so much. We didn't have capacity to take in everything he knew. We didn't need as much geology as he taught us, but, but it, it, was, it was wonderful to be with him. And so we, we blessed him. We gave him a little gift, and he stood up and he said, I want to say something. And he spoke to our group and he said, this has been the most, one I'm, I'm paraphrasing, this has been the most wonderful tour I've ever done. He said, I feel like tours like this, groups like this come along once in a lifetime. 
He said, I feel so grateful to have been able to lead you guys. And then he said, he's not a Christian, by the way. But then he said this. He said, and you need to know this. This is my best Israeli accent. And you need to know this, that, that Jesus is very proud of you. I thought, oh, man. I don't think I've ever received a, a sweeter benediction than that. But I want to pass that on to you. In the way that you serve Jesus, in the way that in, in these crazy days that we've lived in, you need to know this, that Jesus feels that same way about you. He really is proud of you as you serve him with humble hearts, <laughs> even if it's acne. <laughs> as, you, as, as you serve him in hard days like this, you need to know that Jesus is proud of you. He wouldn't say it like that. You know how he's going to say it? Well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. Enter into your rest. So thank you for the way that you've served him and continue to serve him, the way you've overcome the obstacles that robbed other people of joy. You just kept going. I mean, think of the people in the Bible that we have as our, 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 our model, our role model, for pressing on when things just aren't going your way, when they look impossible. And you know, if I keep walking down this road of obedience, it's going to hurt me. It's going to be painful, maybe relationally painful, in whatever way. It's not going to be easy. But like Josh was telling us, you find joy in doing the hard things. You find joy even in the disappointments. And you just keep on moving. And you think of guys like Abraham. God didn't give him a roadmap. He just said, follow me. I'll show you where I'm taking you. Are you okay with following God that way? Following Christ that way? When he says, just follow me. I'm not going to give you a 25-step plan. Just walk with me. He'll get you to where, how many of you believe he'll get you to where he wants you to be? You trust him one day at a time. You think of Esther. She's a slave girl. She's been robbed. She's been taken away from her homeland. And she's forced to be a trophy wife to the king. And can you imagine that? This young lady, and what does she say? I'm in the kingdom for such a time as this. And I'll serve God and I'll be used to save my people when I'd rather be somewhere else, free, running around, playing with my sisters. There was Daniel in a lion's den. Job, you know of all his troubles. Noah down in the belly of a whale. He still wasn't in a good mood. Of course he wasn't in a good mood when he got out of that whale. Anyway, and then you got David and all of his trials. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and what's the other one? Okay, somebody said it. I got I Say this after me. Abednego. Not a bendigo. Nothing's bending here, okay? A bednigo. And, and in a fiery furnace. And they said, okay, big deal. God's going to be with us. And he was with them as he's with you. And here's Paul. As we just finished his letter to the Colossians. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell. And he's writing letters to his friends. And we just studied one of his richest letters. I, I listened to Pastor Jeff's wrap-up last week, and it was powerful. Loved it, loved every, every minute of that. And I'm sure that Paul, as he sat in that prison, you know what he was reading if he, if he had a Bible? And if he didn't have a Bible, I know what he was, was drawing out of his mind. He, he probably had all of Psalms memorized, knew all these songs. They were his playlist, night after night and day after day. He was thinking on and meditating on these Psalms that we're going to look at this morning. Psalm 100, because here's what Psalm 100 says. It says, be joyful, joyful shouts, gladness, singing, thanksgiving. He said, fill up your prison cell with that, with thanksgiving, with praise and blessing of Yahweh's name. And there were other ones. I want you to follow this with me. In, um, to begin with, I want you to look at Psalm 90, which one is it? Psalm 69. Turn back to Psalm 69. We're going to read just a couple of verses here. I'm, I'm sure that Paul is is thinking and singing all of these lyrics that are giving him courage in the toughest time of his day. And he found out what to do, the toughest time of his life, I should say. In verse 30, follow along with me. If you've got it, please read it out loud with me. It says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him. That means make a big deal about God. With thanksgiving, this also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull which has horns or hoofs. What is that all about? 
Why is he talking about animals while he's talking about giving God a sacrifice of praise? Those animals were the animals that would be sacrificed on the altars that God had told his people. When you come to me, bring a sacrifice. You know what it smelled like in the courts of the tabernacle in the temple? Come on. It was barbecue. It was barbecue. It sounded like, and, and some of it you got to eat. You got to take some of it on a fellowship offering home with you. But here's what, what, uh, what, what uh, David says here. He says, God, I know. And he says this in a number of his Psalms. He says, I know, Lord, we do all this sacrificing, but I know that the blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away our sin. I know that the sacrifice you want is a sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of a joyful heart. I'm going to bring my song to you, David said. Aren't you glad he did? And he wrote over half of them that are there in the book of Psalms. And so he says, I I know that this is beyond the, the ox or the bull that would be sacrificed. Verse 32, the humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and he does not despise the prisoner. David in Psalm 69 says again, keep praising God, keep magnifying Yahweh, make a big deal about God and keep bringing your thanksgiving to him. I'm contending that we make this thanksgiving thing, not just a one day a year thing, but an endless feast every day, an endless expression, an endless celebration of the God that we love. Yes, we'll get into petitions. Yes, we'll get into the, oh Lord, would you please do this? And there's nothing wrong. There's everything right about that. But we'll start with what? With gratitude and with thanksgiving. Wouldn't that change? How many relationships in our lives would it change if we started the the next conversation with that person with a thank you? Or you look wonderful today with gratitude and with thanksgiving. It'll change your relationship with God too. Look over at Psalm 95. And remember these, mark them down in your Bible. Psalm 95, three verses right at the beginning. Starts like this. We don't know who the writer is on this one or the next one. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us, what's that next word? Shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. He says, I'm your servant. I'm sorry, somebody forwarded that for me. I'm going to pray and magnify Yahweh. I'm going to give thanksgiving. Now go on to, there it is. Sing joyful th- shouts and thanksgiving. Maybe I messed up that myself. One more. Go to Psalm 116, but we'll hold the slide until I'm done reading three verses with you. Verse 15. I almost didn't start with verse 15 because it almost sounds like it doesn't fit. It's an odd little verse in the middle of a beautiful song. Read it with me. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord's is the death of his saints. How weird is that? God loves it when we die. Yeah, he does. How many of you had kids come to your house or gathered together with your kids this, this Thanksgiving? How many of you had kids in the house? Yeah. Were you glad when they came in? I shouldn't ask that question because who knows? But I love it when the kids put aside whatever they're doing and they come over and visit. Do you know God loves it when his kids come home? How, how do you, right now, before Jesus returns for all of us, right now, how do you get to heaven? Well, part of it, you got to die here. You got to breathe your last and we will weep for you here and we'll talk about your life and we'll give thanks for your life. But on the other side, there ain't no weeping in heaven. When you step into the presence of God, there's nothing but the joyous smile of God welcoming you home. I love it when every, and I mean it, every, I love them all. I even like all my kids. I love it when they step in the door. I love it when they show up, and especially when they bring that better version of themselves, their, their kids along with them. I love it when they bring the kids, too. And God loves it when we gather, when, when the day that we leave this busted up, messed up planet, our work for him done, when we step into heaven, God's going to welcome us with a joyful smile. In verse 16 and 17, he says, Oh, Lord, truly, I'm your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. 
You have, you have loosed my bonds. You set me free. I put this up on, uh, on a, another Instagram yesterday. If you want to follow me, it's Brukulele, not Zukulele now. But uh, B-R-U, by the way. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I put that up because I want that to be the agenda of my life for the rest of my life. I want to be a man that offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving calling upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because I'm his servant, because he loosed my bonds. He broke the chains that were destroying me as an 18-year-old foolish young man who had wrestled against God. He loved me when I despised him. And so the writer of this song says, I'm your servant, Lord. He says it twice. I'm going to sacrifice thanksgiving. I'm going to give, lift a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you. And I, again, will be one of those who calls on the name of Yahweh. Don't tell me that Paul didn't have that in mind when he wrote his letters. Especially two of them that I want to look at. Just a verse. I'll put them up on the screen. You don't have to turn there this morning. But Paul had to be meditating his way through the Psalms when he wrote those letters to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to the Thessalonians, in those hard days of his life where he didn't get to go anywhere he wanted to go. He was locked down and locked in and confined. He was restricted. He had plans to go to Rome and preach the gospel. And trust me, when Paul said, oh, I can't wait to get to Rome. I want to preach the gospel in Rome because I've got what that broken city needs. He didn't arrive there the way he wanted to arrive there. He arrived as a, as, a, as a prisoner. And as far as we can tell, he spent the rest of his life as a prisoner. But thank God he had some stationery and he wrote some letters to people like you and I. And to, in one of them, when he wrote to his friends in Philippi, look at what he said. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Say that word with me. Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he says, and again I say, <laughs> rejoice. Now, what do you know about the, the planting of the church in Philippi? Church in Philippi, Paul had problems when he got to Philippi. Where did he end up? In prison. He'd been beat up before he got locked up. And so his back is probably bloody. His feet are in the stocks. He's locked up. He's not going anywhere. He's in a dark prison cell. And he says to his buddy, was it Silas that was with him then? He said, hey, let's sing a song or two. And so they start singing praises to God. So when, 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 and you know what happens then. God is tapping his foot so hard to, to Paul's song. An earthquake happens. And the prison doors, they fly open. And the, the, the guard is about to kill himself. And Paul saves his life. He says, we're all here. Oh, don't do that. We're all here. And he comes in and says, how can I have what you have? How can I be saved? I want what you have. And he tells him, as, as the place is probably still rocking, he gives him the shortest presentation of the gospel you find anywhere because the house might be coming down on them any moment. He says, trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in Jesus and you'll get to go to heaven. So they knew that. They knew that Paul started his ministry there with praise to God in one of the worst moments of his life. And so he says to you, rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, I mean always. And again, I say to you, rejoice. Then he writes to his Thessalonian friends. Read this with me, would you please, right off the screen. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Of course, the will of God for you goes beyond that, but it, but it doesn't go without this. He says, I tell you, rejoice always and pray always. And give thanks always. Never grow beyond rejoicing and interceding for other people and giving thanks. He says, do that all the time. Now, he's not talking about just filling every single moment of the day with lots and lots and lots of words of praise. He's saying, don't ever give up on praise. He says, don't ever give up on thanksgiving. Don't ever give up on, on rejoicing. That, that praying without ceasing, I've heard, and I've said this too many times, but I've heard so many people say, well, that means to keep yourself in an attitude of prayer. The only thing, the only problem I have with that is I have no idea what an attitude of prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's not an attitude towards God. Maybe it's a readiness to pray. Like if I said to you, Don't, you know, eat without ceasing. Some of you wouldn't have problem doing that, eating without ceasing. I wouldn't have problem doing that. I'd have problem with the results of eating without ceasing, 
But I would be saying, continue to eat a healthy diet. So never give up on Thanksgiving. Let it be an endless feast in your life. An endless rhythm, a part of your life, always rejoicing, always praying, always giving thanks. Question. It's remarkable to me. And I wonder why we don't see Paul pacing his, his prison floor. I think I would have been. I, I think I, I would have been clanging my metal cup against the bars. Demanding justice. This is unfair. I need a lawyer. If I was Paul, I, I would have been saying something like, apostolic lives matter. Apostolic lives matter too. Give me representation. But he didn't do that. How did he retain his peace and his joy and his hope? He chose Thanksgiving. He chose Thanksgiving every single day. Don't get over Thanksgiving quickly. Get over the meal of the moment, but get on with the Thanksgiving every day. Can we do that? Can we cultivate endless gratitude? Not, not just at Thanksgiving time, but, but every day. And not just towards God, but towards people in our lives. It will change the relationship if gratitude rises to a new level. Can we do that? Can gratitude become the new heartfelt habit or rhythm of our life? So, something that is nearly automatic, but it's sincere. When, when our grandkids will come over on Christmas morning, um, not in morning, but afternoon, after they've opened up their presents at home and met with other grandparents, they'll come to our house. It's usually in the evening again. And they'll all sit down and the presents will be in stacks and with their names. And one by one, from the youngest to the oldest, they'll open up their gifts. And after every single gift that we give them, they'll look over at Joy or I or they'll say, thank you, Papa. Thank you, Grandma Joy. Thank you. And it seems automatic, but it's obviously heartfelt. And it, you know what? The stuff that we're giving, yeah, they've given us some hints over what they've, they've wanted. And, and, you know, we do what we can, not everything. By the way, I was on the plane coming back the last time. And uh, there was a screaming child, not just a crying child, a belligerent, um, loud, um, angry child that obviously wanted something. I couldn't translate what they wanted. But at that moment, I, and I've had this moment a number of times, in flying, where I'll look over at Joy and I'll say, thank you so much for that gift of noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> I love that's the best gift she's ever given me. But I can still hear the kid through the headphones. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't know what they were going through. But I, here's, here's a chapter in a book that I will probably never write. I've thought about it a number of times. Uh, if I was raising my children again, in, in several chapters, there would be a chapter that would be entitled, You Get Nothing You Scream For. <laughs> nothing You Scream For. And if I bought it, I'm taking it back to the store. If you scream for it, you don't get it. If you wait for it, you just might get it. But, but with this attitude with us and God, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make the heavy, heavy-handed demands, but I'm going to put my request before God. And wait to see what he does. And I love to see the gratitude, like I said, with my, our, our grandkids. When they, they're just, it seems like an automatic response. It's not a mindless response. It's a heartfelt response. And I love to see that when it rises. You know, any good habit, any good healthy practice can become an automatic habit. And it's not that bad because it's automatic. But, but even so, they still will have positive effect on your life. You know that. If you eat a healthy diet, you know you're doing yourself a favor. I don't get all excited every morning as I'm mixing together the granola and the muesli and a little bit of yogurt and some fruit in there and the, the ugly green powder and the protein powder. I don't get all excited, but I know that anyway, it's still, nonetheless, it's still benefiting my health. I don't, I don't count every single step with great joy when I'm out walking. Un unless I'm trying to pass you, if you're up in front of me, then I'm, then I'm counting them down as I'm out there. But I, don't, but, but I know that that rhythm in my life is helping me. I know that even if it's a mindless rhythm that I can just go about and I can do it every single day, it still has health benefits for me. It makes me stronger and it keeps me moving. A practice of praise and gratitude, it'll contribute to your spiritual health. 
Trust me, your emotional health and, and also to your relational health with friends around you. Our lives are lived within these daily rhythms and patterns of when we get up and when we go to work and when we stop for lunch and when we go home and when we eat and when we go to bed. We all have those rhythms. And, and when you interpret those rhythms, interrupt, not interpret, but interrupt those rhythms three times in a two-month period by climbing into a hollow metal tube and flying 10 time zones to the east and then 10 time zones back to the west, some things are going to get messed up. And uh, I, I don't have any trouble sleeping because I don't do any caffeine anymore that I know of unless they accidentally slip me a caffeinated you know, latte or something like that. But I don't have any trouble getting to sleep. But it was this last Friday, um, two days ago. Been back for about four, five, five days. And I was feeling good, you know, physically I was alert, but I hit a wall. And, and I hit this wall, I would say it was an emotional wall. I just felt myself doing this. Have you ever done this? And just, it wasn't exhaustion. It wasn't depression. It was just, I stood there and I felt like, and I literally had this thought, I wish I could just quit something right now. That's stupid. I just wish I could quit something. I didn't feel overloaded. I just felt like I just want to quit something. I want to give up on something. And, and I, knew, I knew enough ab about this rhythm to, you know, just sit and, and, and what I didn't do, I don't, I don't think I need therapy. Some of you might disagree with that and have for a long time. But I tell you what I needed to do. I needed to sit down. I needed to chill. I needed to breathe. And I needed just to think for just a bit. And it kind of came and it went instead of giving into it. While I paused, I, I did that old count your blessings thing. <laughs> Doesn't that sound trite? It's huge. Start looking at what's going on in your life that is good and, and begin to give thanks for that. Yeah, and somebody's got to be thinking, yeah, but, but I, 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 I can't solve all the problems in my life. I can't do that until I've solved the problems. Listen, you will never solve all the problems in your life. And what I suggest that you do is start looking for something that is working and say, God, thank you for that. You woke up in the morning and you, and you smelled the coffee or the bacon that was being prepared in the kitchen. God, thank you for that wonderful sense of smell. And you heard music. God, thank you for the ability to hear the, the, the birds that you've made sing. Even the ones that woke me up a half an hour early, they're out in the park squawking like crazy. And you start to thank God for what you do have. And what are you doing? You're entering his courts with thanksgiving. You're pushing on. You're continuing this endless feast of thanksgiving. And you're giving God the praise that he deserves. And then, yes, then pray over what hurts. I was talking to somebody recently, and there were so many tough things going on in his life. And they were hard. And I said, start praising God for something that's okay right now. Start right there. And, and maybe make, make a list of the things that aren't horrible right now. And then let's pray. And we did. We prayed for the things in his life that were a trial. And you have to do that too. Get on to the things that hurt or the things that are broken. And don't forget to pray for other people too because other people are going through something. But give thanks and keep this feast of thanksgiving going. I found myself praying for joy that day. And for some of you and your kids the stuff that you're going through that I know about. And it just began to lift on that moment where I felt like quitting. And I don't know what, I still don't know what I would have quit on. But it was just, you know, the enemy knows when to hit hard, doesn't he? Amen? Anybody felt that recently? That's, that's not the whole cure. But I'll tell you what it is. There might be some times where you need to sit down and get counsel and get help from someone else. This is not... The, the whole cure, but it's a very refreshing start towards a cure. So we as followers of Jesus should, should be the most thankful people on the planet, amen? The most generous, the kindest, the most loving, the endless feast of thanksgiving. I think it'll change our lives and we'll find peace and sanity and open doors to touch other people. I don't care who you are. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. Your life, if you've said, Jesus, you can have this thing I call my life. As messed up as it was when you gave it to him. I don't care if you're seven years old or 70 in my generation. 
When you say, God, here's the rest of my life, get ready. He's going to use you to bring hope to somebody else and be ready to run into that and choose whatever that might be. Be outrageously generous with praise and gratitude and that practice of thanksgiving, it'll change the life of both the giver and the receiver. So what will we do? I hope we're going to choose gratitude. And how will I start? Well, I'm going to encourage you to do something. I, I told Bethany about this when she was a little girl, maybe five or six years old. I went in and woke her up one morning, and I said, hey, honey, I want to encourage you to do three things every day. And I said, she might have been five or six. And I said, start by stretching. Just stretch out your arms. And then smile. It's a great way to start a day. Smile. Even if there's nobody else in the room, put it on your face and smile. And then say, thank you, God, for a brand new day. I don't know if she did that every day for a long time. I haven't done it every single day of my life. But I've determined that the one thing I want to do at the beginning of a day, I want the first person I speak to to be God. I want him to hear my voice saying, God, thank you for this day and the breath that I have. And thank you, Lord, for all that you've given me. Thank you for my family. And then I want the first person I hear from every day to be God. So I'll open up this Bible or one like it that's by my bed. And I want to read something from him. And then I'll flip that in reverse at the end of the day. I want the last thing I read to be his word. I want the last person I speak to after I kiss Joy goodnight to be my father in heaven. Telling him again at the end of the day, oh, thank you, Lord. You've been outrageously good to me. What if we established a new deeper rhythm of gratitude like that before God and people? There's a lot, there's a lot of good rhythms to establish, but start right here. And here's the bottom line. One day, one day, we're going to see Jesus face to face. We do all this on the foundation of his promises. One day we'll see him face to face. Anybody excited about that? Truly you believe that? And his face is going to be shining on you? Like Psalm 116 says, we're going to fall upon our faces when we see him, I believe, in gratitude. And we'll see those who have gone before us. And hopefully they'll say, oh, you're here. And not, oh. You're here. You made it? How did you make it? But we're going to be reunited with those that beat us to heaven. Oh, that crowd is growing for me. I have so many family members in heaven now. Our race will be over. The last battle will have been won, the battle with death, and you will win that in a heartbeat. Until then, we run and we serve and we labor and we'll conquer a whole lot more than Corona because we do it together. And we'll serve him all the way home. Choose to continue to be grateful, to pray, and to rejoice. And now, I told you, I was going to give you a moment to tell some people around you two things that you're grateful for. So as the band comes out, go ahead and turn to somebody beside you, whether you know them or not, and just tell them, here's what I'm thankful for. You might be saying, hey, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, Mary Jo. Well, I'm grateful for my grandkids. I'm grateful for the next generation that I get to somehow pour into. Are you grateful for that? Your kids and your grandkids, don't stop doing that. Don't stop rejoicing over them and thanking God for them. Father God, we want to be people of endless praise, endless thanksgiving, um, endless love for one another, Lord. And I thank you for the time we've had here today, Lord, to sing together and to study your word together. Father, we want to say to you, help us to stay on this unending feast of gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord. We want to honor you with the praise that you deserve. And we're going to sing this to you, Lord, from our hearts, not just off the screen, but from our hearts, Lord. So be blessed as we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach with Pastor Bill Welsh. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495.